pain of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and someday the experience of being in eternity with Jesus because he's gone there, he's coming to get us. One simple truth today, one simple truth today that speaks to us of the greatness of God's salvation. And that's in these weeks, this fall, that is our focus. So great a salvation. Uh, Hebrews 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I want you to get one truth today, and this is it. That God extended his grace to us before we ever turned to him. If you're taking notes, write that one down because that's the whole message this morning. God extended his grace to us before we ever turned to him. We've been looking at Paul's statement about salvation in the book of Romans. And I wanted to take it slowly, and I wanted to dissect it so that we understood the great salvation that has been made available through Jesus Christ to each one of us. And it is that one simple truth that I stopped at this week. And my thought, quite honestly, as a pastor, if we can get this, we can move on to the next point. What I want you to know is that before you or I or anyone ever chose to turn to Christ and believe in Him, God loved us before that, before we had done anything. In fact, that's the word grace. This is my thought. Sometimes we may think of grace as that response to God, to our belief that God's a righteous God, I'm a sinner, I turn to Christ and I believe in Him. And in that experience, when I turn to Christ and believe in Him, that then I experience grace that forgives me and takes away my sins. And then that is true. But we're not there yet. Before I ever turned. In fact, what does that imply? When my life was turned away from God. When I was living in rebellion against God. When I was doing my own thing. Whatever that looked like in your life or in my life. Before I ever said yes or that I would follow him or I would believe in him. No, God loved me then. That's the starting point of grace. That God extended his grace to us before we ever turned to him. I have a, can I, hey Peyton, can I put my, my thing with about the seven words? Thank you. Uh, this is the whole sermon series. Um, 
The message of salvation, what does it mean to be saved, starts with the righteous God. And then it, it goes from there because we are unrighteous to our sin. And last week we talked about this great gap, gulf, between a righteous God, if we understood the righteousness of God, that he can't even look upon sin. And if we understood the depths of our sin, it is, it is the starting point for what God wants to do in our life. And many times we try to bridge that gap in other ways, but I want us to live in that tension. Y'all, it, I, mm, I'm just telling you, to sit in a room with, with sweet little Paisley Shaw, I'm thinking, well, Paisley, I don't know that you're a sinner, honey. It's okay. <laughs> do you understand little Paisley Shaw was so under conviction of the Holy Spirit, her her chest hurt for days. Sweet little Paisley Shaw. Now, some of y'all need to think about your own life. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, that was judgmental and critical. No, I'm just thinking, what is that? Jordan would sort of say the same thing to me of just this, I felt bad about me. I don't even know that I deserve for God to love me. Oh, Jordan, no. I'm thinking, Papa D, just let it go. No, this is, this is a part of it. You have to understand the depths of our sin and the heights of God's righteousness to understand so great a salvation that only God could bridge that gap. But this morning we come to that third point, grace. And I wanted you to visually see this, that grace falls before faith. There's a sequence here. And what I'm telling you today is before you ever believed, before you even had an inkling to say, oh, I might become a Christ follower, God loved you and cared for you. And he pursued you when your back was turned to him. And we've, we've got to deal with that point today. We've got to understand that in the sequence of events that before I ever turned to him, God was pursuing me. I'm going to come back to it at the end, but in Romans 2, 4, Paul poses the question, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. There's kind of four words in, or three words in there. One of them he uses twice. That describe God's grace. He talks about his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering. But the point of that verse not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. If my friend Sammy Weaver did something against me, which he frequently does, you know, offends me and does things like that that make me mad, I'm joking. I'm just picking on you. Uh, but if Sammy did something against me and um, he saw the errors of his way, 
understand he was wrong and I wasn't, you know, that kind of thing. And he finally came to me and said, hey, I was wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I forgave him. That would be one thing. Because Sammy had come to me and said, listen, I was in the wrong and this isn't right and we need to get this right. I need to make this right. And there is a sense with God and us when we come to him in repentance that we experience grace of our sins being taken away. But that's not what I'm talking about today. If I was like Jesus, which I'm not as much as I ought to be, then I would already have forgiven my friend Sammy Weaver before or if he ever came to me and said I was wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Before we ever turned to God, God extended his grace to us. His forbearance, his goodness, his long-suffering. It was what was designed to lead us to the next step, which is repentance and faith. I've heard the definition for grace many times, that grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. Yes, and I guess it includes goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, but unmerited favor denotes that when we had done nothing unmerited, God looked upon us with favor. If you think about this chart, you would think that the response of a righteous God to our sin would be condemnation, wrath, and judgment. And quite honestly, ultimately it is. But God is not only righteous, God is also gracious. And the crazy thing that doesn't actually make sense in a human realm is that God's response to my sin in the great gulf or gap, what is that he loved me? In Romans 5, Paul talks about this three verses this morning just to focus on this one truth that God extended his grace to us before we ever turned to him. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Brother Mitchell, this was my text last Sunday at the nursing home, so this is a double dip for you, okay? But apparently you needed it, okay? Let me tell you, this scripture will preach in big church right now. It'll preach in the after, in the after, on a Sunday afternoon at the nursing home too. Let me just tell you. But it only takes me about 10 minutes with those people because you people need a little bit more work than they need. Let's just be honest. Romans 5. Wow. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. That, that's it. That's the verses. To say to us that God's grace, and you know, all of God's attributes are perfect. So we talked about last week, his righteousness is perfect. It's not that God goes, well, I'm 99%, but some of Gary Litton's stuff, I'm just going to kind of gloss over, and I I know his heart, and so it's going to be okay. No! God is completely righteous. But he's also completely gracious. And that it would be be Daryl Smith kind of grace to say, when Sammy Weaver finally comes clean, then we're going to reconcile things. No. God's gracious. God's grace is perfect in that it it precedes our ever, even if we never do, our turning back to Him. Paul talks about our spiritual state in these verses. He describes us by a couple terms. In verse 6, we are the ungodly. In verse 8, we are the sinners. He describes our spiritual state in verse 6 when he says, and when we were still without strength. I I don't know all that Paul means by without strength, but the sense I get, when we were spiritually helpless, we could not get ourselves out of the state that we were in. We could not save ourselves. He's setting up a a chronology here. When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then later he's going to give the same chronology in verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The ungodly and the sinner terms that are described to us are contrasted by the verse 7 that talks about the righteous or the good man. Paul just kind of fleshes this out for us to put it in terms that we kind of understand. He goes, now Christ died for us when we were, we were ungodly and we were sinners. And my contention is before we ever turned to him, before we had turned to him. And Christ died for those that were unworthy, that were the sinners. And Paul just goes through this. He goes, in, you know, in the, in the human realm, I don't know, we might, we might die for a righteous man. I, you know, I don't know a guy that was on trial and was found guilty of something he really wasn't guilty of. And you say, well, good grief, that guy shouldn't suffer. I'll, I'll suffer for him. I don't know, you might do that. You, you might die for a good man. Someone you really loved and cared about. I, I don't know. Paul, I think even there's a bit of doubt in his mind in the human realm. Would we give our own lives for a righteous man or for a good man? I don't, he he kind of says, perhaps we might. But he said, but, but in verse 8, it's, it's the contrast, but. And it's the contrast. In the human realm, we're not even sure we would die for a righteous or a good man. God died for us when we were in rebellion against him. When we were the unrighteous. When we were not good. And the sense of this, in verse 8, sinners, the word that comes to my mind is enemy. When we were enemies to God, I don't know. The only person in history I ever knew that taught us to love our enemies was Jesus. 
What is that? What is that even? What? Seriously. Love your enemies, those who hate you, persecute you. But you understand when Jesus was teaching that, he was reflecting what he knew the Father's heart and character was. Do you understand that? That comes, that's otherworldly. That is not of this world. We don't love our enemies. We sure don't die for our enemies. But that's what God did. And not after we had turned to him. No, he died before we turned to him. You know why Paul writes this? Paul writes this because this was his experience. This is what happened to him. I know I've told this story in my own words the last two Sundays. I'm sorry, in Acts 9, the conversion of Paul. It says, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And He said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. If there was ever anybody who was living in rebellion against God, even though Paul would not, Saul would not have seen it like that at the time, it was Saul of Tarsus. He was so bad in the eyes of God that the only thing Jesus would, could say to him, you are persecuting me. I mean, you're bad if you're persecuting God. You understand? I mean, that's, that's, that puts you in a category of sinners that's kind of beyond belief. It's raining. <laughs> Sorry. I'm from West Texas. Ooh, look, it's raining. I always get fascinated by the rain, Brother Robin. You know, it's like, oh, look. Amy, why don't we stand at the back window and watch it rain? <laughs> Anyhow, I tell you what, I'll just preach until it stops raining. Yep. <laughs> no, somebody go, no, no, no. It's preach. It's supposed to rain all day. We're not doing that. No, I'm not making that. Mm, no, no. Unless it happens to stop, and then you, okay, you've said you're going to stop, but what are we talking about? Here's the thing. Paul was in active rebellion against God going down the road to Damascus when Jesus encountered him. Not just that he was a sinner, but he was the worst of sinners persecuting God himself. That is the point. Not when Paul saw the errors of his way and thought, man, I'm just really out of, I'm out of it here. I'm living against God. I need to get my life right and I need to turn back to God. And at that point, experience the grace of God. That's not it. That's not it. It was when he was in active rebellion against God. When he wasn't looking for God, didn't care anything about Jesus. It was then that Jesus makes himself 
known to him, and his life is forever changed. My question is, why? Why did Jesus show up that day on the road to Damascus? Think about it. Why? Because Jesus wanted to save Saul of Tarsus. You would think a righteous God, and you, you get a little righteousness in Jesus when he says, you're persecuting me. It's not all hunky-dory, you know, flowers and butterflies and all. I'm not talking about that. But you also don't get the sense you think the righteous God would come to judge, condemn Saul of Tarsus for the life that he was living. And they dealt with his sin. But the intent was not condemnation. The intent that day was salvation. Jesus came that day to save Saul of Tarsus. And I believe because of Paul's experience then of God initiating salvation with him, that God came to Saul. It was not that Saul turned to Christ. He did after this experience, but not before. We see the greatness of grace, that God extends it before we ever turn to him. Think about it. That's the greatness. Part of the greatness of God's grace is that he loved you when you didn't love him. Amy, 1 John 4.10 In this is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. The greatness of God's grace and all of his attributes are perfect. The greatness of his grace is that he extended his grace to us when we were still sinners, when we were in active rebellion against him. <laughs> Some of you sitting there all self-righteous. That's all right. I'm about to, I'm about to put, bust your bubble too right now. You little self-righteous people. Well, now, Brother Darrell, there was, uh, I'd kind of started searching for God years ago, you know, and kind of started looking for what all this whole life is about and kind of, you know, I started this journey of searching for God and to find my way and I knew I was off track, but I kind of, I, I, was, I was searching for God when I found him. Mm. Well, let me tell you the reality, people. If you ever turn to search for God, it was because God drew you to search for him. You did not do that in your sinful state. Do you hear me? John 6, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him, you cannot come to me. If ever there was a time in your life, and this is true, I think, for the, some of those that got baptized today, 
I tell you what, my own experience was more like Paul. I was sitting there minding my own business, just waiting for vacation Bible school, quite honestly, to be over the summer of 1972 that night when I'm sitting there going, how long is this preacher going to go on? And then realize, wait a second. He's talking about me. And the reality is I'm lost and doomed for hell unless I trust Christ. Why did my heart turn in that moment? Daryl Smith wasn't looking for God. I was more like Paul, and all of a sudden it was just, it was white and it was night and day. That all of a sudden God drew my heart and said, No, you're lost. You're doomed for hell. And fortunately that night, being raised in it, hearing about it, I said, Oh, wow. That's actually something I didn't even know I was searching for. But I turned to Christ that night. Maybe your story is that for years you look for God. I don't know. I would say the only reason you ever look for God is because God turned your heart to look for Him. Because the reality is, is none of us in our sinful states are looking for God. And so we never come to God to say, oh, well, see, hey, God, here I'm at. Here I am. Surely you want to choose me. No. It will always be about his grace that proceeds even our turning to him before we ever were looking for God God was pursuing us whatever that looked like in your life my question to you today is how then could we ever turn away from a God who loves us like that. How? I think that's Paul's question to the Romans in Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? I wanted you to know today at least part of the greatness of God's grace that he loved you when your life was turned away from him and Paul said how could you not turn to him the God of this universe that would love you when you were in active rebellion against him. Where does that love even come from? It is not this world. But it's just like God, who is perfectly righteous, who is perfectly gracious, who is perfect in his love, that he loves us even in our rebellion. And Paul says, if that doesn't lead you to repentance then I, I don't know what will. This morning, uh, God gives each one of us the opportunity to respond to his pursuit of us by turning our life hearts to him. We've had three kids this morning that have given testimony huh, of that very thing in the last two years in their lives. 
you have the same opportunity today. Um, wow. It's pretty simple. But it's life-changing because really what you've said, a God that loves me like that is a God worth living for. And so Christ, if I take your life, then I give you my life. And I'll live it for you. And yes, and we'll talk about it in the weeks to come of what the blood of Jesus does. And we'll talk about the justification. And we'll talk about the sanctification. And we'll talk about the glorification. But there has to be a point of repentance. And all repentance means is to turn. That I've been walking away from God and I work, walk to God. Uh, this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. Brother Shane's going to come and lead us. Uh, Brother Byron and I will be at the front. Um, if today, the Spirit of God would draw you to the Savior, would you just come and you can take our hands and say, I'm turning to Christ. I'm turning to Christ. I'm turning to Christ. That's all you have to say. Uh, Father, today, uh, we pray that your spirit would work as only your spirit can. And, Father, that uh, those who've never experienced salvation today would experience so great a salvation. And, Father, we trust that to you in Jesus' name. Amen.